So it's great to see you guys. So if you were here last week, um, we're in the middle of a, thank you, uh, teaching series that is addressing some of the toughest questions in the Bible. And I I joke that smarter people than me uh, avoid all these topics. And so last week I started on demon possession and Christians. And uh, these are really tough topics. And I wanna first say that uh, none of these topics affect your salvation. But they're, they matter to our faith and they matter how we respond to truth and how we live. And these are mostly positions of my own. I'm, uh, I'm enthralled by bad theology or a torturing of the scripture that takes something out of context and creates a whole nother theology. And so um, my goal is to give you a full context, three-dimensional look at the scriptures and to let you decide for yourself. And so if you have a, a piece of, of scripture tonight or truth or something, it's awesome, Uh, that you don't like, you disagree with, check it out. Don't write me angry emails. Don't uh, get bent out of shape. I'm trying to give you the word. Tonight, we're pretty much all going to get our PhD in the demons, which is very exciting. And uh, it's not the feel-good message of the year, but hey, this is really important. And here's why. Is that if you are in a battle, and Jesus describes us as in a battle with, with, with an enemy, and you have a bag covered over your face, and you can't see, and you can't hear, and you're being attacked, how good are you going to be at defeating the other enemy? Probably not very good. And so it's important that we take a close examination on this topic and look uh, directly at it. So if you missed last week, this week's kind of a continuation, but last week we covered, are there demons? Yes. Can a believer be in bondage, be held down in a stronghold addiction? Yes. When you get saved, are you liberated from all Uh, demon possession and all oppression. No, Jesus describes freedom both in salvation and oppression separately. What is demon possession? I gave you my definition of being controlled or influenced by a spirit other than God. Uh, Can a demon or can a believer be demon possessed? Yes. What is a demon and where do they come from? They are fallen angels who rebelled in heaven with Satan and a third of them fell, which means that they are finite. And um, we also learned that you can have more than one demon, that there's a rank and an order in the demonic. There is specificity in name and number, and you can address and speak to to the demonic in people. Um, Jesus directly spoke to the demons in man. He even said to Peter, like, you Satan, talking to Peter, he was addressing the demonic force in Peter. Um, So that's what we learned last week, right? So kind of heavy. Um, I got a couple people who took exception to uh, can a Christian be demon-possessed. And uh, let me say this, that to to the degree that a demon can enter, control, and influence you, yes, because drugs and alcohol can enter you, can control you, can influence you. And the topic becomes what people really want to know is can a Christian be owned by a demon? When you say possession, it infers ownership, and that is no. And we looked at the Greek word there, that the Greek word when we talked about demon possession means to gain mastery over, means to influence, means to control. And God uses the word possession about us with him. So if you are in Christ, you've allocated your life and dedicated your life to Jesus, you belong to him and he's not going to let you go. But that does not mean that you can't... um, have demonic control or influence over you. Um, So I do believe that demons and the demonic can control you and influence you. And here's another reason why. Is that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the last part says the love, uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, you know that. Gentleness and self-control. 
Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So it would reason to stand that the anti-Holy Spirit would be loss of control. So if the Holy Spirit fruit is self-control and you have demonic oppression influence, the fruit of that likely is going to be loss of control, just like intoxication with drug use um, and alcohol, its main effect is, is loss of control. So um, tidy that up. Hopefully that all makes sense for where my standpoint was last week. This week, ready? Here's what we're going to cover this week. Is when does the demonic come after you? Exciting. What is the mission of Satan and the demonic? Where do demons hide and reside? Do demons cause sickness? Are there different kinds of demons and spirits? How are they defeated? And what happens to demons and people after they're cast out, if we have time? I trimmed this message down from 25 pages of notes that I will gladly send off to anybody else. So, um, and one preface here, we're gonna cover a ton of scripture. I'm gonna go fast at some parts and then I'm gonna get to one main part. But I need you to hear me on this. Is that all of the Bible is true. But not all truth is in the Bible. All of the Bible is true, but not all truth is in the Bible. Meaning, there could be angles to this topic that aren't explicitly addressed, that still are true, but yet aren't explicitly in the scriptures. We live in a different time now. There was camels back then. We're not going to find a Bible verse on internet pornography, right? So that doesn't mean that what the Bible says is true. It doesn't doesn't affirm and qualify things that are sin now in this age um, just because I didn't mention it. that okay? So uh, first one, we're going to go fast on this, is when does the demonic come after you? This could be a whole message in of itself. But the demonic onslaught can come in response to a few different things. It can come from sin, our own fall, our own stumbling. It can come through pride. Our first week in this uh, series in February, I talked about the open door of pride in Peter and Job that I believe opened them up for uh, the enemy to come in. Um, Freedom but not filling. I'm going to get to that. But essentially, um, freedom from oppression but not filling with something else. And the third is commission of your identity prior to a new beginning and being isolated from fellowship. The most explicit example of this one, which I want to briefly cover, is Matthew 3. This is Jesus. Jesus, after being baptized, came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now notice the timing of this temptation. It's directly after the declaration of Jesus' identity. This temptation, notice the timing, it's directly after the declaration of God's pleasure for Jesus. Now, as a Christian, you can expect a response from the devil anytime you begin to walk in your identity and you become who God says you are. It's no wonder when you begin to to, to take ground in your walk that suddenly life becomes a whole lot more tough. There becomes a whole lot more resistance. Did you know that the Bible... um, Uh, specifically gives us instructions for how to defeat the demonic temptation. Jesus used scripture back against him. 
Jesus used scripture to answer the lies because the lies, even scripture misused as Satan did with Satan or as Satan did with Jesus can be used to tempt you. There's so many churches and so many Christians over the centuries that have used scripture to actually control, manipulate, and hold people down, what I believe in demonic strongholds. And so just because it's a Bible verse doesn't mean that it's being used in the right way. But Jesus always answered a contorted scripture with truth. Number two, what is the mission of Satan and the demonic? It's very, very, very simple. The mission of Satan and the demonic is to prohibit souls from being saved. The single mission is to prohibit souls from being saved. Salvation is based purely upon our choice and response to believe. But did you know the Bible attributes a cause, a person, to why people don't believe? This is Luke chapter 8. It says, now the parable is this. And Jesus just got finished talking about the parable of the seed and the sower and the rocks and the road. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, listen, so that they will not believe and be saved. Take that, Calvinism. So that they will not believe and be saved. You guys are seeing this, that Satan is attributed to why people hear and don't believe and aren't saved. We here see the active mission of the enemy coming in and stealing from the heart so that people are not saved. So whenever you're out sharing light, whenever there you are out there trying to bring the testimony of Jesus to others, and there's a counterforce trying to keep the light from being seen and received, you now know why. Because it is against the explicit mission of the darkness. Now it begs the question, if you are saved, why do they care about me? If the mission of Satan and the demonic is to keep souls from being saved, why am I as a Christian getting so much drama? It's very simple. If they can make your life a mess, you have a really crappy testimony for Jesus. If the mission is to have people get saved and you are the mechanism in which you say my life is testimony to the power and the transformation of Jesus and the demonic can make your life a mess, they've ruined your testimony. Because people will, say, will see you and say, if that's what Jesus does, I don't want it. So the bondage, the attack, the assault we receive is to make your life a mess so that you'll be less likely to tell of the transformational power of Jesus. Is that making sense? Number three, where do demons hide and reside? Last uh, uh, week, we studied Mark chapter five, the demon-possessed man who says, I've got legion, right? You know? Do you remember what the demons begged Jesus not to do? Send them out of the area. It wasn't like, no, don't send me out of gym. I'd love them. No, like they were like, I don't care about gym. Just don't send me out of the area. Fascinating. Don't send us out of the area. That means that strongholds are not just personal, they are geographic. That means that there are areas and regions that tolerate the demonic in their presence. And as we study healings and why healings don't happen, we'll see that geography actually matters a whole lot. 
But the basis of this is that demons find places they can easily access and remain unthreatened. The only reason for the demonic to like an area is because they are unthreatened in that area. They are giving safe habitat to. They are going unnoticed. Are you with me? So that means that geographic regions have demonic uh, influences and, and realms. It means that individuals that we carry and we can give safe harbor to. And there's also one other place that you would have never thought that can give harbor to the demonic. This is Mark chapter 1. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Look at Mark Chapter 1 again, verse 38 and 39. He said to them, this is Jesus speaking, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Verse 39. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Jesus is like, let's go demon hunting. The disciples are like, yeah, let's go to like cemeteries and brothels and caves. And Jesus is like, let's go to churches first. <laughs> Jesus was thinking about churches. Demons apparently like church. <laughs> what we can learn from this is that those are the most holy places. Synagogues back then were no joke. Churches are apparently, can be, very friendly for demons. It tells us that a lot of religious people, a lot of religious leaders in that day, had some demonic activity in their life. And it's interesting, if you really think about it, and this is another message all by itself, but demonic influences can look a whole lot like religion. Demonic influences can look a whole lot like religion. And it's the only way, why? Because it's the only way it can go undetected in the church. The only way for demons to reside in the church is if the demonic possession, oppression, effects actually looks something like religion. That's why we're ruthless with control and manipulation. When people use scripture, they use pressure, they use obligation and compulsion to get people to comply. We actually think like, wow, that's more of the demonic than it is of Jesus. But it's fascinating that Jesus went around to synagogues and that's where he had all this deliverance. And that makes us understand that demons like the saved as much as the unsaved. Demons and the demonic are not just for the unsaved. They actually seem to like the saved more because they are more in disguise when they are in someone who is in the church rather than someone on the street. I believe that it's easier for someone if they are harboring a demon to be inside the church body going undetected than it is to be out on the street. Number four, are you guys okay? Do demons cause sickness? We have a debate here. Mark chapter 1, verse 32. They began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. Matthew eight sixteen, And when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all who were ill. 
Matthew 10, 7 and 8. And as you go preach and say, the kingdom of God is at hand, heal the sick, comma, raise the dead, comma, cleanse the lepers, comma, cast out demons. You'd think from the scripture that sickness and demon possession are separate. Most of the scriptures seem to infer that Jesus usually talks about sickness and demon possession. They're two different things. Some people like to say, well, um, that all uh, sickness is demon possession. And I'm going to get to that real quick. But look at these two passages. This is Matthew 12, verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. Luke 13. Verse 11 and 13. And there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness, listen, caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. So we can learn here is that, yes, demons cause sickness, but they don't cause all sickness. Now, what about, well, well all demons? Well, let, let's look at this. When we go back to the Garden of Eden and we think about heaven, there is no sickness in heaven, right? We never read about Adam having a cold. So we know that sickness isn't in heaven and wasn't part of God's original plan. So death of the flesh, we're all going to die, right? None of us is going to live for a million years. It's, our flesh is deteriorating as a product of the fall, as I lose my hair, I'm not casting out Satan. I'm like, dang, that recessive gene somewhere. We have to understand that, that the world is in a deteriorative state because of the fall. Are you with me? And so 90% of the time, Jesus is delineating healing of sickness and casting out of demons. But they do have some overlap. So what's the answer? Do demons cause sickness? The answer is, well, some do and some don't. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean there are different kinds of spirits and demons? Yes. Number five, are there different kinds of demons and spirits? Yes. 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. I have loosely found three different spirits at play in the unclean, impure, demonic realm. The first, what we just read about, the woman who's crippled, is commonly referred to as a spirit of infirmity. It means there's something like wrong. There's something that's like debilitating. There is something physically about them. And that's commonly called the spirit of infirmity. Uh, Acts 16 talks about the spirit of divination. It's calling upon other spirits to fortune tell. There are other spirits at realm that you can call upon and do some crazy stuff. And then Jesus directly references the deaf and mute spirit in Mark 9, which we'll read in a second. I don't know how many there are. I just know there's not one. I know it's not one size fits all. So if we know that there are different spirits, how are they defeated? And this is where I'm going to spend the most of the time on. How are they defeated? This is where we're going to learn a lot. We'll learn about, here in the next couple of minutes, we'll learn about authority. We'll learn about how demons react. We'll learn about the cause of sickness as well. We'll also be reaffirmed that there's different types. And then we'll learn something really interesting, how we can fail. We're going to look at how we can fail against demons.
So this is Mark chapter 6. I'm going to start here, verse 7. It says, and this is Jesus, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. Jesus gave the disciples authority, all the demonic, and sent them out to do deliverance, right? We're like, sweet, I got my power, I'm being called out, I'm going, I got my buddy, we're out, right? (laughs) Fast forward three chapters, Mark 9, verse 17, let's see what it says. And one of the crowd answered him, answered to Jesus, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute, Here we are seeing a spirit that's actually causing oppression and sickness. He's the cause of the affliction in verse 18. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast out and they could not do it. Wait a second. Three chapters ago, Jesus says, I've given you all authority over every unclean spirit, right? And here we are three chapters later. They could not do it. So what happened? We're going to look at why they couldn't, but let's keep going. Verse 19, and Jesus said to them, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. And when he, this is the boy who seemed possessed, saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Exciting. Like, come here to me and and starts going all crazy. (laughs) When the demonic saw Jesus, it reacted violently. And I would suggest to you that that the demonic reacts to spiritual authority. In other words, the demonic will react to those who threaten it. If you don't like someone, especially somebody in spiritual authority, it might be because that something in you does not like what is in them. Remember, demons want to stay where they have safe habitation, right? I don't care about the person, but just, I don't want to have a battle. I don't have any drama. Can we all get along, right? I mean, that's what they're all saying. So when Jesus calls for the demon-possessed boy and he starts riding around, we have to understand a few different things. One of my favorite things, um, before I get into that, I love this. Ah, I checked out Epic Life, sweet. Love the music. That guy, Aaron, such a champ, you know. I love the ministry, but I have a couple questions. Okay, yeah, sure, what's up? There's a few people there I just don't really like. I, I don't know them at all, but I just kind of don't like them. There's something about them. Like, let me guess, um, Eric Waterbury, Nicole, and Saul. How did you know? I'm a psychic. No, I'm not a psychic, but it's a pattern. Why is that? I love these three. Wherever you went, Saul. Um, but they're like the worst offenders. Like, I'm running PR battles for you guys all the time. <laughs> and the best way, why? Is because they are some of the strongest people I know that in the face of someone else who's got something else, it gets inflamed. Raise your hand if you have uh, been positively freed or affected or have had some positive fruit from your life from one of those three people. <laughs> Keep your hand up. Put your hand down if you 
never had an issue with them <laughs> at all. Or if you like always loved them from day one. That's, that's right. That's right. Look at that. The same people who have their hands up for transformation said, yeah, I didn't like them actually. It had, there you are, buddy. I love you. No, he's over there. I was looking for him. But what they do is their presence inflames stronghold all the time. I love it. It's like you can eat popcorn. It's like, oh, they're going to meet. This is awesome. <laughs> and I'm not exempt from that party. When I met Eric for the very first time, he like came up to me. He's like, hi, I'm Eric. And I want you to know that you have an anointing in your life. I'm like, that was spooky. Get away from me. Like, I was not a fan. And uh, I was afraid for a long time because what was in me was afraid that if when confronted with him would have a lot of dialogue. That he would see what's in me and have a discussion about how long do you want that to be in you? And frankly, what was in me, all sorts of things, insecurity, perfectionism, pride, strongholds, it knew that it would not go unnoticed in relationship with him. And so therefore, I was like, I just, I can't put my finger on it. I just, I don't know about the guy. He kind of weirds me out. And so people, it's human nature to avoid people who have authority to address what you have. The reason I don't have a physical trainer is that they're going to make me lift heavy things. <laughs> I am perfectly fine without a physical trainer. But we do that in the same realm with our lives is that we will live relationships with people that let us skate by where we are. You want to see someone who really wants to grow deep in their walk and their faith? They'll find the person who's going to, going to give them that, the hardest truth. They're going to be the person that actually is going to give them the most tough information that is going to make them mad in the moment, but later they're going to realize that was actually correct. And so these, these guys are pros. They know like, and here's the amazing, Galatians 1.9. If I'm trying to, I, uh, let's see here. It was there, Galatians 1.9. If I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. If I'm trying to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. Meaning, you should really think about the impact you're having for Christ if everybody in every relationship with you likes you. If everybody around you loves you, likes you, let's hang out all the time. And they have no issue with what you might tell them or what you might see, you might want to ask yourself if you're being that effective for Christ. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people liking you, but there's an angle to where we people please and we never tell people what they ought to hear. We see things. This happens to Ashley Locks all the time. I love it. She'll like, she'll see something. I'm sorry, I'm a lot. Old habits. I love Mike. <laughs> Ashley Malott, sorry about that. Is that she'll see things so clearly and then she'll like kind of hold back and I don't know and like, you know, she'll dodge the bullet a few times. I'm just like, you just need to go for it. You're, you're spot on. You know, who cares if people don't like you? At least you're going to give them the truth. And I'll like you later when they find out that you're right. <laughs> but if you have a visceral reaction to someone, you may want to examine what it is. There's someone you're like, oh, I, don't, and I can't put my finger on it. If you can't put your finger on it, you might want to examine what it is in you because you might have a passenger with you, to put it in terms of Nicole. 
You might have some company. You might have some freeloaders that are joining you in life that are really not your friends. So if you find yourself avoiding people who might give you the hard truth, you might be protecting a demonic influence in your life that you don't, that doesn't want out. In other words, if you are avoiding people who are going to tell you hard things about yourself, you are responding like a demon. Those who choose the path never have any direct information. They are behaving like a demon because they're saying, don't let me out of the region. I'm safe here. Let me go somewhere else. But don't bother me. And demons actually care about who, everyone say who, Demons care about who confronts them. It's just not the name of Jesus that has power. It's the name of Jesus and the person who's saying it. No one just saying, oh, the name of Jesus will will do it. It actually isn't true. It depends on who is saying it as well. Don't believe me? Want proof? Where's in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Acts 19, (laughs) verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Again, there's the demarcation between the two. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of a Jewish chief priest were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, watch this, I recognize Jesus, and I even know about Paul, but who are you? Are you, are you reading this? Be removed in Jesus' name. Um, excuse me, who are you? I didn't see your name on the list here. And the man in whom the evil spirit, this is great. And then the man in whom the evil spirit leapt on them all, subdued them all, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> naked and wounded. Not bad enough that you got wounded, you, you're naked now. Like, that's a pretty awkward, like, where did your clothes go, bro? <laughs> pretty humiliating. So demons care about who. It doesn't matter Yes, there's power in the name, but also there's power in the person. Okay, back to the problem of the disciples not casting out demons. Are you guys okay? Mark 9, go back there, verse 21. And this is uh, Jesus, again, talking to the father with the son. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to, look, destroy him. To destroy him. The demonic tried to cause destruction. Remember in John 10.10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's not coming to like woo, whisk, and have fun. He's like very destructive. And so self-destruction, whether literal or spiritual, is the work of the demonic. There are people who want to self-destruct their life. They want to take their life, put dynamite around it, and you know, push the, the cartoon lever down on it. And that is the work of the demonic. Anybody who struggles with suicide is, that is the work of the demonic, to try and defeat you, to destroy you. It's under the influence. Verse 22. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible with him who believes. And immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. 
help my unbelief. People disagree on that. I think it's like, I do believe. Actually, I don't. I think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, it's easy for us to say, I had faith. And actually, really, we didn't. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. Here we see Jesus specifically identifying a spirit, giving it a name. Because remember, there's different kinds, right? Verse 26, after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning Jesus privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind, remember, there's multiple kinds, cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now this story is retold again in Matthew 17 and has a little bit different ending. Let's look at that because sometimes the Gospels, you got to kind of match a couple of them up to get the full story. Because the Gospels, Luke and Matthew, they're, and Mark, they're writing from their perspectives. They're not like, hey, so what did you get for, um, for chapter 7? You know, they're, they're actually calling it like they, they see it. And so they memorialize it honestly to them, but sometimes there's certain passages that we need to pull together to get the full context. So full context, we have to add Matthew 17, verse 19 in here. It says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So here we have Jesus telling them about uh, a few different takeaways here. One, there are different kinds of spirits, right? There's a different approach to spirits. And um, you can be given authority but not have authority or unable to use it. So uh, let's think about the disciples real quick here. So Jesus had given the disciples authority, but they did not have authority. That's kind of a problem, right? Is there a uh, defective product that Jesus delivered? No. There is a difference between given authority and having authority. I have a gym membership that I have not gone to the gym in a year and a half. <laughs> documented by Cody recently. I was like, I haven't been to the gym since we were there. What was it like six months? He's like, a year and a half, bro. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I can have a gym membership and never go to the gym. But we've all been given, and, and come on, I mean, give me a little slack here. But we've all been given authority, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are authoritative. That does not mean that we are effective using it. Everyone in here has been given authority. Jesus says, you've been given authority. But that does not mean that we are equipped to now use it. That does not mean that we are able to use it. And so the disciples, I would argue, were not effective in three ways. Number one is that your life has to back up the authority of your words. Your life has to back up the authority of your words. And let me say this, that, that you probably can't cast out something that your life is harboring. You cannot cast out something that your life is harboring. Another way you can put it is you may not be able to cast out something when the very thing you're trying to cast out is present in your life. 
If you want to be powerful, your life cannot contradict the authority of your words. There's something very different about Jesus when he encountered the man with the demon. He reacted. And so that wasn't present in the first place with the disciples. Number two, the second ineffective thing about the disciples is that uh, you lose your authority when a command is rooted in unbelief. You lose authority when a command is rooted in unbelief. Jesus said there was unbelief, right? He said there's unbelief. He said there's littleness of faith. What does littleness of faith look like? It sounds like this. Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. I don't know about you, but I've prayed that 99% of the time. Lord, if it's your will, heal him. But but I'm, I'm banking they're not, but... If you do, I'll be really surprised and thankful if you do, but I'm just going to go with that it wasn't your will to heal him, and that way I don't feel awkward. That's what unbelief, that's what littleness of faith looks like. It's when we like pray for someone and then we give all of these like, you know, excuses why it's not going to happen. That's unbelief. Disclaimers, thank you. Don't give disclaimers when you pray. It's not up to you. Because, and we're going to talk specifically about healings because I know that drives people nuts. We're going to talk specifically about that. But there's nothing wrong with you saying Jesus heals you. I believe it. You know what? If it doesn't work, I'm going to teach on why. The chances are it's not just simply you. So we can get over that. Number three is you lose authority when a command and response is generic. You lose authority when a command and a response is generic. Notice the specificity that Jesus had. He was very specific in how he dealt with the spirit. Apparently, spirits don't come in one size fits all, remember? He said, the deaf and mute spirit. He called it by name. Remember in Mark 5, he's like, what is your name? My name's Legion. I mean, he he got the specific nature to the demons and called them out by name. And then he gave the operative weapon, which was very simple. It wasn't like, oh, we all just need to like grab hands and kumbaya. It's like, no, this one's prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. You guys want one more? Yeah. The final one? Yeah. Number seven. <clears throat> Finally, what happens to demons and people after they are cast out. What happens to a demon after it's cast out? It does something very specific. It searches for someone else. And then it tries to come back. It's a boomerang. If it finds someone else better, it's going to stick. But if it doesn't, it's going to come back. Matthew 12, 43. Look at this. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest we're going to come back to that, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it'll also be with this generation. This passage is describing someone who is oppressed by a demon, possessed by a demon, whatever terminology and word you want to have in there, and it leaves, and the man's liberated. And the demonic comes back and returns to the man and finds the man unoccupied, clean, and in order. You think, like, that sounds good. Here's why it's not. 
It says that, the, that it returns to find the man unoccupied. The unoccupied mind is a welcome mat for the demonic. If you're not thinking about anything at all, you are wide open. You're a blank sheet of paper for the demonic to come and do whatever illustration they want. If your mind is unoccupied and you have idle time, it is a threat to you. I would say that there is no greater threat to a man's purity than free time in an unoccupied mind. I'd probably say boredom probably leads more men into compromise. I'm just going to speak for men because I know men a little bit better than women. Um, Boredom and unoccupied time and idle time is actually what draws you into a fall. It's not that, oh, that was so enticing. I was like, well, I didn't have anything better to do, which is a terrible way to fall. But sadly, it's true. The same thing we can learn from this is that a demon can be removed, but something must go in its spot. It will be replaced with something. When the demonic leaves, it must be replaced with something, whether for good or for bad, as we see here. It'll be replaced with something. Remember that demon possession is the entering, the controlling, and the influencing of a human being by a spirit other than God. So if you don't allow something good to influence you, something bad by nature is going to come and influence you. It says, swept and put in order. You can get clean and free, but unless you replace it with something in its place, you're inviting something else to come in. And here's a fallacy is that just because you cast out a demon does not mean you've replaced it with Jesus. Just because you cast out a demon does not mean that you've replaced it and substituted with Jesus. Just because you use Jesus' name, that's just the eviction notice. That's not an installment. You've just like cleaned house. You didn't like remodel it. Are you with me? You, we can have people get free from demons and use the name of Jesus all over the place and they might not know Jesus afterwards. So we must delineate, again, demons and them inhabiting people and leaving people versus the filling of Jesus, the transformation of the soul, the salvation of that person. You must get freedom and get filled. The absence of being filled with something, again, when do demons come and attack? It's because there was an opening. There's a vacancy. They will go where there's an open spot. So if you want to open yourself up to have all sorts of passengers and critters and all those things, just be an open vessel. Just be like, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm clean, I'm good, but I'm just a blank sheet of paper in life. If you're a blank sheet of paper in life, you're going to get destroyed because something's going to influence you and you want it to be on your terms and Jesus is the only way you can have it on your terms. Now you might say, to yourself, well, that's all good and well, but this could never happen to me because I have Jesus, right? And people think, just because you have Jesus doesn't mean you can't have a demon, and I don't believe that at all. I think we talked about that last week. Um, but if you've, ever been con- if you've ever contemplated suicide, that's a demonic spirit against you. Again, remember Mark 9, the spirit is trying to destroy him. Addiction, that's the work of an evil spirit. And here's what's really crazy. You as a Christian, you might have had a demon, had a spirit, had a stronghold, never knew it, never did anything to cast it out, but because someone else was praying and contending for you, it left and you got free. And you never knew it. Where's that in the Bible? Glad you asked. Matthew 15. (laughs) Verse 22. We don't have it up here, but I'm going to tell you. A woman comes to Jesus pleading for her daughter. Jesus, she's tormented. Please, please, please. Whole story. 
the little girl's not there. The little girl's not participating. The little girl's not like, here's my name. Jesus is nowhere even near. And he's like, she is free now. You may go. So we might be free of all sorts of things that we have no idea we ever were oppressed with. And that gives us hope that we can pray for someone. We don't have to have them come here and like, okay, we got to all lay hands on you. Like we actually can contend in the spirit realm for other people. And the scripture shows that that can be victorious, that you do not have to be there. You don't even necessarily have to have that person's agreement, apparently. I mean, I think so. I mean, again, this is not one size fits all, but I'm saying right here that you and I have more impact in the spirit realm than we give ourselves credit for. And finally, here's the last thing I want to give you. Um, well, before I give the last thing, this very thing, it actually explains a couple phenomenons. The first is how many new believers can come and get saved and then their life after getting saved goes way worse. Why is that the church was concerned enough to get them saved, get them attending, get them tithing and never filled them? We can be consumed as an organization to fill butts and seats and never ask, when people are getting liberated, are we filling something in them? Are we actually allowing the spirit to flow in them and operate through them? It also explains why some people, when they get free from bondage and they get free from addiction, that they, when they relapse, they don't just go to where they were, they go like 10 times worse. It's because something didn't fill that spot. Now, the interesting thing about the, the de- detail in demons, and our, our band can come up if you guys want, is uh, it says that they pass through waterless places. It's an odd detail. They don't like to swim, you know? What is up with that? Why would the scriptures mention waterless places? There's two symbols for water in the Bible. You know what they are? Jesus, Holy Spirit. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Why Jesus? Because I think it's salvation-based. Why the Holy Spirit? Because just because we have the Holy Spirit does not mean we are being filled with the Holy Spirit. You can have something that you never use and operate. You can have something that never overfills you. The word, uh, Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled by the Spirit. He's not saying have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. But being filled and overflowed with is a totally different thing. He's talking to believers. What does being filled by the Spirit mean? For me, what it simply means is I'm conscious and I'm in dialogue. I have the Spirit, but I can ignore it all day long, just like I ignore my gym membership. But if you are walking in life and like, Jesus, would you help me now? Jesus, would you just give me wisdom for this day? Lord, would you rejuvenate me? If, if you are conscious, I believe that is the, the filling and the overflowing that we live and we operate in constant dialogue. The most annoying thing ever with Eric Waterbury is that I'll bring him like some issue and this can happen weekly, daily. And he's like, well, have you asked the Holy Spirit about it? <laughs> I didn't even see it coming, you know? And I wish I could say yes, and every time it's no. I'm like, how did I forget that again, you know? I could reduce his calendar so much if I just would ask the Holy Spirit before I ask him. And so that is what it means when when we are cognizant that the presence of the Spirit will buoy up to our awareness of him in us. When we are not acknowledging the Spirit, the presence, it stays down, but we acknowledge and we see it begins to come up and flow up. And then everything we do, everything we do, becomes bathed in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Love you guys.